That's right. Welcome, friends. Hello, brothers. Greetings, sweet soul sisters. Welcome to episode one of Podcast from Mars. Episode one, you guys. Yeah. Yes. Woo. Hi. Awesome. My name is Jason. I'm in Phoenix. I'm joined by Jimmy on the line in Los Angeles. Mark is coming at you from our old stomping grounds in Long Island, New York. Together, we make up Cult Stars from Mars, which is our latest band, kind of really more of a virtual band a long-distance studio recording project, and the impetus for this podcast, the podcast from Mars. The idea is for the podcast to serve as a companion to the music that we're releasing as we release it, and the stories behind the songs, a bit about how we're recording them, how they came about, kind of like a real-time liner notes. But uh, before we get into it, I thought it would be cool to give you guys a little background about who we are and where we come from. So Cult Stars from Mars is actually the title of a song from our previous band called Fuzzbubble uh, with our buddy Brett. And we decided to use this as the name for the new project, Cult Stars from Mars, which was born out of this quarantine coronavirus pandemic and also influenced by the Licorice Quartet. So Jim, why don't you talk about how this all started and the Licorice Quartet single and, and how we started this conversation? Yeah. So one day that, uh, that single appeared on social media and there it was. And oh my God, the guys from Jellyfish are making music again, of course, minus, uh, Andy Sturmer, but however, a pretty amazing track. I, it, it took a while for me to wrap my head around it cause it was a really long song and it, it was dense with production and with, you know, whatever else. So of course we all got on the the phone and texted each other like, Oh my God, did you hear that? I was like, yeah. So we've always talked about doing music again over the years, but you know, one thing led to another people have things to do other things. Um, and we went on with our lives and what have you. So this was a good inspiration and, uh, jellyfish being a initial inspiration of, of what the band started as. So yeah, they had a lot to do with it. So we can, yeah, we can either give them the credit or blame them. One of the two. <laughs> <laughs> Similarly, Eric and Roger, I think both of those guys are in LA, but like Tim is in Atlanta. Yes. So with, you know, each of us being in California, Arizona, New York, you know, it was always a thing. Like we knew we could do it, but like when they were doing the long distance thing, it was like, all right, well, now we really have no excuses. Yeah, and we have we have done it in the past. I mean, that's true. Yeah, we've we've done it a few times, and you know, me and Mark did some commercials and some other stuff together, where I would record the track, send it to him; he would record the vocal, send it back, and so, being that we all have studios in our house, it makes it kind of easy, and it's fun because collaborating is fun. I know you, Jason, as well as myself, we both do. Uh, composing mm -hmm. and you know you can only play with yourself for so long <laughs> I don't, uh, you know? uh, i'm so, pretty good at it actually yeah, i know i'm good at it too but <laughs> after a while you you kind of get lonely in the doghouse there by yourself so it is nice to 
have you guys to do this with again. For sure. Because it was such a good band and, you know, Fuzzbubble, and we just didn't get to do everything that we should have been able to do. And now here's our chance. We could all do it again. So. Exactly. And it's just to chime in over the years, like, you know, cause we, we've kept friends and everything every so often we'd say, you know, we should, we should do some new music. We should do some new music every, you know, every couple of years, things, you know, we, we got to do something again. And, um, you know, like, like I said, just to go back to licorice quartet, I guess this finally, uh, you know, gave us like, all right, this is, it's going to happen now. And all of a sudden we have a, a, a ton of stuff and, excitement from jimmy in la and and this is all so so cool so uh yeah it's this is great stuff totally and uh why i wonder if those guys said the same thing yeah i think it was totally that i think they they missed making music with each other yes i think tim did fly out to la and they they recorded for a bunch of time but the point was that look you could certainly write together and exchange tracks and you know the the, the technology didn't exist, in all fairness, when we started. You know, the, the internet and, and what we can do in our homes is, you know, greatly improved. So, yeah, I mean, it's great now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Bubble actually started out as a recording project also. Yeah, me and Mark had been playing in in another band together, and Cult Stars from Mars was actually one of our songs. Is well, I was going to say uh, to correct Jay, it actually Cult Stars from Mars is a it's a Long Island Zone One Groovy Coconut original. Right, that, that's and, true. Um, I didn't say that because I was never in One Groovy Coconut. So yeah. I, I said it was a fun <laughs> song. Yeah, gotcha. I was lucky. Well, Jimmy, tell the story, and I'll, and I'll chime in with that with that stuff. Yeah. yeah so we, you know, Mark was not in the band at the beginning, but we, we decided we wanted to bring him in because of his obvious vocal ability and guitar ability. And, you know, we were all friends. So we brought out, you know, Mark came into the band and I think for the last year that I was in the band, uh, Mark was in it. And we, we kind of went into this direction of the more power pop. And yeah, that was m me trying to, cause that band had a lot of different kind of musical food groups going on. Um, but I really was into the the power pop angle. So I wrote Cult Stars. And that was one of the last of those songs we did with that band. And uh, when, in 1994, when you were in that band with us, I, that's when I started going to recording school. And it, we eventually took that trip out to Los Angeles and played. Uh -huh. And I had never been to LA. And then I decided, like, oh, I'm moving here. I, I love it. So... I spent 1994 going to school, engineering, audio engineering school, so I can actually learn how to record and get the sound I wanted to get. Because that was always a problem. You go in the studio and you just can't explain to the engineer how you want your guitars to sound. So I was like, okay, I have to learn how to do this myself. And I really like the process anyway. So at the towards the tail end of uh, the last quarter of 1994 after we got back from we went to LA in August of 94 and then we came back and uh my recording school project was to do a recording so i had been interning at Kevin Kelly's studio where we did that demo and uh Kevin was a really good drummer so i said hey let's i got a couple of songs let's do them so it was me uh 
you, Mark, and Kevin. I played bass, and Mark played guitar, sang, and right. And we did uh, those three songs: Allison Gray, uh, Allison Gray, Waiting for Someone, and Dragonfly. Right. And we didn't do Cult Stars because it had was already a coconut already a cult, song. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So that came out surprisingly better than I thought. And, you know, obviously with a lot of Kevin's help, Kevin taught me a lot about engineering, even though I was going to school, he kind of showed me a lot of the ropes and I was doing sessions over there with him. You know, I remember being there for a session with uh, Brian Titchy, who's a famous, pretty famous drummer now. And, uh, Joey Ramone's brother had a band called stop and I was a assistant engineer on that session. So some cool people came through there, but anyway, I, um, we did those songs and that was my project. And I don't remember the grade I got, but I do remember getting an entire A in the entire course and being the top guy in my class because I took it so serious. Um, and oddly enough, the, the teacher in my class was a guy I graduated high school with, which is really <laughs> even funnier. Yeah, he's yeah. like, did you go to Walt Whitman? 19, uh, yes. Like, right. I was, I was going to say <laughs> that if no one can tell by now, and certainly probably the only people listening to this at this point are people that do know us, but right. Jimmy... And I, even though we're across the country now, we all grew up in New York together. Right. So we're all from Long Island, and yeah. that's where it started. Yeah. Right. Um, so anyway, so that was my project, and I'm like, well, I'm going to move to L.A., and this is going to be my my business card, you know. Um, so in the beginning of 1995, I moved to Los Angeles, met a few people. I, I did want to be in a band, and I tried to put a few bands together to play this music, but I figured I would make a living being an engineer. That's, you know, rather than do, you know, whatever lame job I could get, you know, I had, of course I had to do that at the beginning, but I, I wanted to get experience being an engineer and eventually work my way up that way and have that as my, you know, as a way to make income while I'm pursuing music in, you know, whether it was a band or a songwriter or whatever. Yeah. Um, so the studio thing was really just like, I want to get better at engineering so I can make my music sound better, but it's also was a way to make income. That's the way I saw it. So, uh, ended up working in a studio, uh, shortly after probably two or three months after called the sandbox, uh, which was a, a studio owned by a guy named Rick Parker, who, who, uh, you know, was in several bands of his own, signed, had record deals, used that publishing money to build a studio. And uh, right across from the Peterson uh, Museum, which is a different uh, slice of irony we'll talk about later. Um, but yeah, I started working with people in there. And then uh, I had been writing songs, sending them to Mark from Los Angeles. Right. And I guess... Dave R. from Royalty Records said, hey, let's make a Fuzzbubble record. I want to put it out. So they flew out Kevin and Mark. Kevin played drums. I played bass. Mark played guitar and sang. And we made a 10-song Fuzzbubble record, which was going to be called Lemonade. Right. And that was it. It was done, mixed. Eddie uh, Kurdzeal from Red Cross uh, helped us produce it, who I, by odd chance, met in... Uh, I'd met him in 1994, I think, at CBGB's when Red Cross played. But I answered and the recycler and for a band, and the guy calling was his roommate. And we got into a discussion, and Red Cross came up, and he's like, "Oh, Eddie is my roommate." I'm like, "No kidding." I said, 
I met Eddie in front of CBGB's and, and <laughs> he literally said like, Hey Ed, this guy is from New York. And he said he met you and Eddie without a, missing a beat said, Oh yeah, that guy from in front of CBGB's, we were talking about the Solvtech big muff pedal. <laughs> and like, he literally remembered me that well. So we struck up a friendship immediately. And when it came time to make that record, we thought, let's bring him in to produce. did that record at the sandbox um that you know dave r and royalty fronted and, and helped us you know make happen um you know i come home back to new york and you know record sounded good and i think you kept you know sending me songs and writing the songs and um it was you know we, we had something so good on our laps so it was just like god this is so good and i remember you you, you were like you got to come out here and we have to do this and we'll make it happen because like you said you were meeting people left and right and you like i have connections and management and this this is gonna happen and um i mean the like the material was so good i'm like yeah we, we have to do this because it was just you know still is to this day the the proudest band i you know that i've been a part of and it's just it was just i don't know just so powerful i mean it made us move across country yeah it kind of just started out as a recording project and then ended up blossoming into a band yes after you guys needed a full band, I guess, at the time. Kevin, who's, you know, a great drummer, great guy, awesome at what he does, but he was pretty planted, you know, in New York and wasn't really interested in moving. Yes, I believe his uh, wife was pregnant with their first child, so he, okay. he wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's what prompted you guys to be like, okay, well, if, we, if we're going to put together a band, you and Mark were, were solid, but you needed a rhythm section. And, uh, and so, so that's how Brent and I came into the picture. Right. So we had this album, so we needed a, to go back, we needed a bass player and a drummer. And, and of course, just everyone being from Long Island, I knew Jay through music land and, and, um, I, you know, played and shared the stage and uh, at shows that, you know, prior to that. And I think Jay, you know, you guys were in the plums at that point. It was you and Brett, correct? Yeah, that's right. So. I, you know, I said, and I remember Jay just being able to do everything on my, he sang, he played drums. He just, you know, so I'm like, I, I, I said, I think this guy is going to be, you know, who wanted, he'll be the drummer and, and, and Brett was playing bass in the band. So, you know, I, I, I know Jay had the tape and I don't know how long it took him to listen to it, but I said, look, like we have an opportunity to do this. And, uh, and I, you know, I knew you guys were into the same, uh, power pop type stuff that we were doing. And um, obviously, you guys felt that strongly about it too. And we all, uh, you know, we all cruised a, across country and slept on a floor and, yeah. you know, start from scratch. Yeah. yeah. We had like a little kind of like audition slash rehearsal at like a typical, you know, Long Island rehearsal studio. Right. And I have pictures. Well, actually, Steve Messina has pictures yes. from that. But yeah, Dude, we're going to put that, that up that actually, night. too. I'm going to put anything we talk about in the podcast definitely. that we have, like any material that we can reference yeah. to, um, I'll definitely post. Cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, ha I have pictures from that first rehearsal, too. And it sounded pretty damn good. You know, it was, it was like it clicked pretty well. And everybody, yeah. you know, we had similar senses of humor and, you know, definitely similar tastes and, and background. You and Mark already had that relationship. And Brett, too. And Brett, I was going to say, and Brett and I had already been playing in a band together. And I had known Brett 
Yeah, before me. Brett, when he was in Napalm, used to rehearse next to Hitman. Right. <laughs> my old band. So uh, we and Brett was part of our 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 crew. Like we all hung out together. So right. It was just uh, I, I and I had seen you play and I'd seen you at that Jellyfish show and I'm like I know that dude. Right. Again, we were backstage at the Jellyfish. Like I've, I'd seen you play <laughs> with with your band. Yeah. So that was basically when. I think Dave R was just like, I'm going to steal these guys from the plums for you. And yeah. I think he kind of made it his mission to do that. Yeah, right. And so when I flew back to, to rehearse with you guys or, or audition you guys, right. uh, it was really like, okay, I'm going to go back and meet my band. Pretty much. Cause I wasn't really, exactly. yeah, I wasn't really thinking of it as any other way. Like these are the guys that we're going to try it. It's pro it's going to work. And that's that. That's what, no, that's what it was. Exactly. Cause exa you came in, it was, it was probably for not even a week and we, we auditioned and it was like, yeah, I'm going to meet my band and we just, this, and this is it. And then I, after that rehearsal, we were like, okay, I, I guess I will, we'll, we'll We'll move, we'll drive across next month, you know, because it must have been like, you know, and that's what happened. You know? We sat yeah. at a Dunkin' Donuts. We got coffee. And Jay, you were like, so, so how do we, what do we do? How do we do this? It's like, well, you guys load up whatever you got in your cars and get out here. <laughs> right. And drive. And because there was a really good, that was the height of the LA like power pop scene in the mid nineties. Right. Yeah. You know, you had bands like the Wondermans who are now Brian Wilson's band yep, right. and lots Great. of other people i mean that band for instance uh maroon five was called cars flowers they were playing the scene wow roger manning i think played on their record and yeah you know then there was you know a ton of bands and so i was like you guys got to get out of here this is where this music is happening right now and exactly you know people weren't really getting record deals but it was you know they were on the cover of the la weekly some of these bands and the shows were packed and it was everyone was into it and was super cool so i was like you know, we're not going to be able to launch this from Long Island. Like right. it's happening now out here. You guys got to get out here. So you guys are like, all right, what do we do? Like you pack up your stuff and you move out <laughs> <laughs> and that's that, you know? So in the meanwhile, some a friend of mine had been at a band called the hollow bodies. They were signed to, I think who they signed to Hollywood records, uh, Hollywood I records. I think. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. And their manager, I met him and I gave him the tape and he liked it. And he said, I want to manage you guys. And I said, let's get a bigger deal. Let's, let's go for the big record deal. I can do it. So, right. Okay. So we went for the big record deal. And exactly. soon after that is when we got involved with our old manager. And then it was you know, the showcases. I'm, right. But if you think about it, it happened so quick because time, so timeline, you know, we moved out February 11th of 96. Yep. We, um, we did all this, you know, uh, you know, sleeping on floors and rehearsing and getting an apartment and, and showcasing out there. And then, and then comes, I think it was September. Um, well, yeah. we, well, we probably met our, you know, management prior to then, but you know, come September for CMJ, we're in New York. So it was pretty quick. Not even like six months and things Ten were shows. happening. Yeah. Ten shows. Yep. Crazy. Yep. And that's when um, our demo got in the hands of, uh, of uh, Bad Boy A&R, you know? Yeah. Right. We didn't know we were going to do this when we decided to have the podcast, but we ended up digitally releasing some of our back catalog, which is like now available on Bandcamp. Right. And that album demos outtakes and rarities has a lot of the first music 
that we wrote together and the yes. original demos that you're talking about that you guys did with Kevin before Brent and I got involved. Yeah. So you could check that out. And uh, once again, Roger comes back into the story because we asked him to play on some stuff. Yeah. And he's on he's on that album too. So that's that's pretty cool. Um, Jimmy, I don't know. I, again, just in in preparation for all of this, mm-hmm. you're like, oh yeah, the, it reminds me of the time you know Roger called my house, and I was like, what? <laughs> and then Mark's like, he like he's like, yeah, I told you, and I'm like, no, you never told me Roger called your house. Yeah, you gotta tell that story too. Yeah. <laughs> so it's weird that I forgot this and I didn't bring it up to him when he came in the studio. Uh, it was probably fall of right before I moved out a couple months. Cause I had made the plan. I told my friend, Anthony, I'm moving out. I was making my plans to move out. And I was, I, I decided to play hooky from work one day. I was like, I don't feel like going in today. And, uh, the phone rings. I'm at home, just hanging out at home and the phone rings and I pick it up and it's like, hi, uh, there's Jim there. <laughs> it's like, yeah, who's this? It's like, oh, my name is Roger Manning. And you know, uh, that's the me falling on the floor. Like, why is he calling my house? You know, because at that point I was a huge jellyfish fan. So he actually called my house because Anthony had given my name to a guy named Michael Lockwood, who was a pretty big guitar player around LA. And uh, I guess Roger had spoken to Michael Lockwood. I'm looking for a guitar player when they were putting together Imperial Drag. So I guess. Anthony gave my name to Michael and said, here's a guy, he's moving here. He's probably perfect for this. So Roger got my number and called me. I was just completely out of the blue. Like I was just like dumbfounded. And I happened to be home that day. Otherwise it would have been a, you know, a voice on the, on the message machine. So he explained to me that what they were looking for. And yeah, it's going to be a little different than jellyfish, you know, some slide guitar and some Zeppelin type of things. And so, okay, I, I can do that. So he goes, if you got something you could send me, that would be great. So I was like, yeah. So I sent him the one groovy coconut tape uh, and some, I did a little photo, quick photo shoot with Messina. I sent him some photos and I went about my business and I'm like, well, I'm moving to LA anyway, you know, okay. So I sent it to him and, uh, and here's a, a really testament uh, to how cool Roger is. I, I don't know him personally that well, other than the couple times we've dealt with each other. But uh, he did call me back about a, two months later and said, Hey, I just want to let you know, I got your tape. I think there's some really good stuff on there. Um, we are going in with this uh, guy we have here, a friend of ours. He's going to be the guitar player and singer. And of course he was talking about Eric Dover. So he didn't mention that he was the old guitar player and the jellyfish tour and all that. He just said, we, we got somebody, he's a friend. We're going to go with him. Uh, but I wanted to thank you for sending the tape and, and saying, and say, uh, you know, whatever you're doing, keep it up. It's really good stuff. Good luck. So I was like, okay, great. Thank you. You know, I, I didn't think I was going to get that gig anyway, but, uh, and, you know, he didn't even say who the band was or what they were calling. It was just his new band. So, well, Mark and I, Mark and I are glad you didn't get the gig. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we're both here to tell you that. You, you never told us that story. Yeah. No. It's weird that I never – and when he came into the 20 studio – 20 years later, the, the vaults open up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it was just weird. I felt kind of weird and embarrassed to like say like, hey, I was that guy that you called for a tape and I sent it to you and I didn't make yeah. the band. But I just didn't feel like it was 
like we were all just kind of dumbfounded that we were, he was in our studio making our record with us anyway. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, so it's kind of like you know, nah, I'm not going to bring a million this up musicians that like you say jellyfish. They're like, oh my god, right? You know, belly button, spilt milk, uh, amazing. We would, you know, we would have had all those guys play on the record if they would have, right? And then the next best thing too was like, well, how about we get Jack Joseph Puig to mix some stuff, right? Yeah, you know, and again, I think a lot of people that were coming out of that like late '80s early nineties, you know, hearing those records, you know, compared to everything that was like going on. Like I remember Dave Kendall, 120 minutes, like one in the morning. And like, and I hear like the bridge and like King is half undressed. I'm like, Oh my God, this is like the who meets pet sounds meets the Beatles queen. I'm like, this is amazing. I forgot. I love this stuff too, you know? Right. Uh, So like, yeah, just, just amazing. And again, you know, once again, these guys, you know, influence us to write music and put stuff out. And uh, I don't know if Licorice Quartet has a podcast. I hope not because otherwise it looks like we just rip off everything they do. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. hopefully, you know, they don't have that. And if they ever start one, we could say they ripped off us. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, luckily what they're doing is probably a lot different than what we're doing, even though we're in the same waters. I think we have a, we have a different flavor to what we do. I mean, obvious, the cheap trick definitely influence is huge with us. It's just by default. I mean, just by the way we play and sing. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course the Beatles are always there, but uh, you know, they have because Roger's more of a keyboard player, uh, I think they have a more keyboard driven sound, but we, you know, we, we have that as well. We have keyboards in our music too, but you know, we come from, uh, you remember this, the, the, for me and Mark at least is the mighty influence of, of kiss. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, seventies rock. I love the first Boston album is about as good as it gets for me. And people yep. can have an opinion about that, but I think that's a perfect record and that kind of production. I love production ELO. And of course the Beatles, the Beatles is a blueprint of course, but totally, uh, you know, I like the rock and roll aspect of kiss and cheap trick Yep, along with the pop, you know, the overdriven guitars and what have you. It's a little more hard rocking, um, and that's what the basis was for Fuzz Bubble. I think the first Fuzz Bubble album, listening back to it now, it's almost a little too hard rock for me. I, I mm-hmm. mean, it's it's a great record, no doubt. Uh, I think it was that '90s thing of it's got to be raw, it's got to be this, it's got you know. We were coming out of uh, out of grunge, yeah, and and that's the thing. Jellyfish was came out during the time of grunge, and that's why it didn't it didn't work because. Everyone was listening to Nirvana and Pearl Jam, and then along comes The King is Half Undressed. And people didn't know what to make of it. But, you know, obviously for the people that liked it, uh, that album was an about face for a lot of people that just went, wow, I need to do that. You know, it's it's a good point you bring up, too, because for as much as we talk about Jellyfish and Roger and all the influence, we did have a single on the soundtrack to Godzilla. And that, you know, that, that went platinum. So, you know, a lot of people heard that. Yeah. If that inspired you to you know follow us any deeper yeah you're right the first record actually doesn't sound that jellyfish 
or you know or even power pop because it was so uh so guitar driven and heavy yeah yeah exactly it, it's more cheap trick yeah. it's more red cross I, you know i've read reviews that actually make reference to nirvana we definitely weren't a grunge band but you know we love the posies and stuff like that so we, we liked ugly sounds yeah also so right um so yeah so actually the you know the demos and the outtakes actually has a bit more of the nod to the jellyfish sounding power pop than the yeah. first record. Yeah. Coming around to where we are then. So what happens, Jim? I remember waking up recently a couple of weeks ago and checking my email and you're like, guys, here's the new song. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I got to get up and listen to this yeah. right now. Yeah. What really pushed you over the edge? How did we get this first song? Um, well, we just kind of, you know, we, we were all texting each other like, did you hear that licorice quartet? That's cool. We should do some music. And that's kind of where it started. And I haven't written, other than doing TV stuff here and there, and I would occasionally send a song to Mark to sing on. I'm like, okay, I need, I need that voice on this. Because I, I, I do a lot of my own garagey stuff. And I can kind of shout out a little garagey type of rock thing, but any sort of melody I can't do uh, vocally. So uh, I haven't written because I've had this instrumental band for the last 10 years and getting back on the, the horse of writing lyrics and melody and Beatlesque and all of that and harmony, something a little out of practice on. So I'm like, okay, well, uh, let me see. I picked up my guitar and, this new song came out and I'm like, well, I, I still got it. I think I send it to you guys. And you're like, yep, <laughs> sounds good to me. So, and then the floodgates open. Then it was like, oh my God, you know, write songs. I've been writing songs ever since. And yep. it's nice to do again because I, uh, and it's very easy to do with you guys. Cause you guys completely understand where I'm coming from. If I say, oh, this, this, and this, you guys are like, yep, got it. And then you guys do your thing. And it comes, it's very, it's very uh, effortless in terms of how we work together. Which is the whole way we got together back to however it was 20 years ago, because we, we all had the same influences and it was right. just like, oh yeah, I get it. I know what right. you're talking about. So that was the, you know, so that's why we're still here doing this and stuff. Right. You know? The love of music, yeah. I think translates yeah. into what we do. It's, it's you know, for the love of that type of music. And it's just when it's, when you like it that much, it's easy. Absolutely. You know, the yeah. hardest thing is lyrics. And that's always the struggle is finding something to write about. And yeah, big time. Um, so yeah, but now here we are and we're probably 10 songs in at this point. Well, yeah. And we're not, so here's the thing. We're not going to go that far into revealing what we're up to, but right. the idea was, that in the current state of the music industry, if you will, it's a whole different landscape than when we started. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, there's no major record label deal in our future or maybe anyone's at this point. But, right. you know, whatever. That's okay. That's fine. We're not necessarily, you know, going to pack up and hit the road at this point. So we thought we're going to make music for ourselves, first of all, to your point. Absolutely. Yeah. The way we want to do it with each other and and that's you know the the first and foremost number one mission then of course you know you you do want people to hear the stuff you know you you, you want feedback so we had the idea to release a single a month and do a podcast as a companion to each song yeah so because we're not ready with our first single 
And anyway, I thought it would be good to at least give some kind of introduction. Yeah. You know, just a little background and context to what this is and where it started. So we're going to release the first single we're thinking in June. And uh, Jim, what's the name of that song? The song is called Dragonfly Part (laughs) 2. Why? So I always tend to write from a very personal point of view. And it's a nod to the the old band and the first dragonfly and the idea of the, well, the dragonfly is going to ride again. You're going to fly again. So uh, without revealing too much about it, um, it's kind of dragonfly was the first of the three songs I ever recorded. So on that, yeah, from the, uh, from the engineering project. Right. So it's kind of like dragonfly part two is kind of the, about launching the band again and how, what you're thinking about what we went through and, what it's going to be like now. So it's a new beginning in, in, in a sense. Uh, Absolutely. And we're not going to reveal it again also now, but you got a special guest to play drums on yes. it. You know, the, the, I got to tell you, as, as one of the many drummers of Fuzzbubble, it's starting to be like a real Spinal Tap situation. <laughs> but I'm okay with this one. This guy's a great drummer. So that's going to be cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, if you're still listening and you dig it, and you want to listen to another episode, we're going to be working on that pretty soon, along with the release of the first single. But we're going to close it out with the original Dragonfly from the original band, Fuzzbubble. You could find that on the Demos, Outtakes, and Rarities album, which is available for digital download at fuzzbubble.bandcamp.com. It also has the original Cult Stars from Mars song on it. Yes. Which, again, is the new project and uh yeah that's it you can find us everywhere on social media at cult stars from mars right it's so instagram facebook all instagram that facebook yeah twitter podcast from mars at twitter you know if you search it you'll find it yep and that's it so uh until next time yeah yeah until we meet again lovely until we meet again yeah salute <laughs> Salute.